and welcome to this week's Deep Gospel Conversation. I'm really excited, one, because this is a wonderful resurrection conversation. Um, in the time that this is aired, we will be living in the light of the resurrection. Uh, in the time this is recorded, we are in the middle of Holy Week. So it's also this kind of gift in the middle of Holy Week to get to like kind of get there and then we'll go back but um, to be able to live in that. Also, um, I forgot to tell you all this before we started recording, but um, at the time of this recording, my sister is at the hospital giving birth to her son. So that's also a really exciting thing about today. So resurrection, new life, it's like a great theme for the day. Um, and I'm really excited about this passage and what it has to bring us. But before we dive into our discussion, we always start with introductions. We want to make sure that uh, we know who everyone is. And so I'm Haley Eccles. I'm the Associate Director at Campus to City and leader of these deep gospel conversations and, and a couple other things within the ministry, just a few other tasks. Um, it would be an impossible job if I didn't get to do it alongside and um, working with Derek. So Derek, you want to introduce yourself? Let's be real. <laughs> Haley is the one crushing it. And I'm the one just trying to catch up. That's why I'm in my car. I'm trying to catch up. I'm Derek, executive director. Love what Haley's doing in CCW and her leadership in Deep Gospel. I'm really excited to be a part of today's discussion. Um, we also have uh, one of our newest leaders and yet someone who is very well known. We talk about very fondly and has made a huge impact. Uh, Mary, Mary, you want to share a little bit of the things that you've started helping with in, in uh, CCW? Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is Mary. Um, I have been helping with the recordings for uh, the virtual gatherings on Facebook Live. I set up the lights. Um, I'm learning about the audio. And Ty's been helping me learn about all the cool tricks and gadgets. So it's been great. Mary also very consistently shares some of the work she's doing on her own um, Instagram account, but tagging CCW. So that also helps us stay connected um, virtually with communities. So we really appreciate that and seeing those little behind the scenes. Um, and then we have Kathy joining us who is, um, you know, we've been inviting a lot of youth directors on. However, the church that Kathy serves at has chosen a whole new way of kind of tackling ministry. You know, we're not going to silo, you know, youth and this stuff. We're going to do a more collective approach. And so, Kathy, do you want to introduce yourself and maybe share just a little bit about what you're doing? Um, yeah, sorry, there I go. Um, yeah, I'm just new on staff. I got hired during the pandemic um, at Riverside Park United Methodist Church. And they are looking to, yeah, they're looking at ways to really connect 
um, the programming and the discipleship from birth to high school and kind of have some interplay and overlay and really focusing and looking at the family and knowing that family looks like so many different things in the life of the church right now and just meeting the needs of the families where they are and um, coming alongside of them and encouraging them. And I keep looking at my phone because I do want to say I also have a daughter who's graduating from UNF. So as excited as I'm here because of working at the church, I have to celebrate with college students everywhere um, that my daughter is graduating UNF with a communications degree with a concentration in advertising minors in marketing and psychology. I have to look at my phone because I never quite get all of the degrees straight. So anyway, um, along with being on staff at the church, I have two college students of my own, and so just have a tender heart to those who are gathered here today. That's wonderful, Kathy, and it sounds like your daughter has been really using those electives to her advantage to learn a lot of different things at once, so, but wonderful to get to celebrate, like, going through, and we'll have a few seniors who will also be enjoying that celebration soon. Um, well, I this passage is a really good one. Um, there's going to be a lot in it, um, and so I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Um, I'm going to ask Derek to read it, but before he does that, um, I'll ground us in a word of prayer as we're listening to it, okay? God, we just give you uh, thanks for your word. Um, and the ways that we get to encounter you within it, um, that you are alive in these words, in these pages, in these stories. Um, and although we don't get to see you and put our hands in your uh, hands or in your side, that we might be able to um, experience who you are um, in each of our lives. I pray that as we have this conversation, that we'll just get to see Christ within each one of these individuals and the ways that um, you are speaking to them through the scripture. And we ask all these things in your holy name. Amen. Derek. Here we go. John chapter 20, starting at verse 19. I'm reading from the Common English Bible. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. 
even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then, then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in the scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's son, and that believing you will have life in his name. Friends, word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And I'm really excited. One of the cool things about this text is that um, it is a longer text. So what's fun about the conversation is not only do we get to hear what people liked, what they what challenged them, what their gospel implications are, but I think we also learned something from like, what draws your eyes first, you know, where your experiences take you. Um, and so I think it can lead to like a conversation across a lot of different places in this text. Um, I also will say I've written down like six challenges. So I'm excited to see which ones y'all bring up so that I don't have to bring up all six. Um, but we start with the where um, the things we liked, and I think just kind of where we we start this encounter with Jesus. Um, and so, Mary, why don't you start us off with what you liked? Yeah. Um, so I like the verse uh, twenty three, where it says, "If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld." And um, I guess that really speaks to me because. Uh, with everything that's going on with the Asian American hate, um, with COVID especially, I've had a hard time forgiving those people. Um, and it's, and some of them I don't forgive because it's so heartbreaking. And um, my sisters and brothers in Christ and who are also fellow, my fellow Asian Americans um, are being, uh, attacked and persecuted and it's just really hard for me to forgive and so it like I'm withholding um, that forgiveness for them but also you have to know that those people who are doing the harm is also lost they don't know Christ or they they're lost and they haven't found their way to the Lord Thanks, Mary. I think this is the exact reason why I love these conversations, because your like is my challenge, but your experience completely shifts the way that I have experienced that verse. And so I do want to talk about it even more, but it's so helpful to put it in that perspective. Um, yeah, I just, I really appreciate that. Um, Kathy, what about you? What did you like? 
this passage was so incredibly rich. I had to break it up into even reading it in two days. Like it would just felt like it felt like there was two different acts um, between, you know, what was going on with the disciples in the room and then the interaction with Thomas and then just kind of the summing up at the end. So I have a kabillion likes, um, but um, where's the clock so I can be careful. Um, how long do we go? Two hours? What's our time? <laughs> so two, one, 30 minutes? Just <laughs> Maybe you could put that in the chat. But anyway, there's so many things I loved about this. And I think for me, just like you said, like reading it, what strikes you, you know, what sticks out to you. And for me, that thing in that first passage was the connection between fear and breath. Um, and just the reality of the, um, you know, everything we're experiencing right now as stories, Mary told that personal story of what's happening right now in our culture with the trial going on. Um, just the literal fear that the disciples really must have felt and experienced the trauma um, that was happening in their minds, in their bodies, in their everywhere. I can't even imagine um, watching someone you love die um, and the trauma that that caused all, like I said, all through your body. Um, and then the fact that they were literally stuck um, in that place together. And, and I, I see that as we, they were stuck um, and dealing with that trauma and the reality that in trauma and fear comes peace um, and that peace steps in and peace is spoken. And, um, and then that he says to, and he reminds them, is this too much talking? Is it just one thought? Okay. And then, it, and it's like in the midst of that stuckness in that space, he reminds them of that truth the father sent me and I'm sending you like stuck. Isn't where we stay, you know? And I just think for someone who's experiencing trauma to be reminded that we are not called to stay in that. And then the power of breath is unbelievable to me. The power of breath, the implications of breath, the trauma that we all feel when we see someone's breath being taken away. And so I just felt like when Jesus breathed, it just reminds me of um, the power of breath, the creation of new life with breath. Um, so those are, those are some of the things that hit me um, at one level. And then I think, um, I guess maybe I'll come back to it when we do the challenge, but I could keep going. But that's just from the beginning, that's some of the, that's some of the um, things that hit me. That is extremely powerful imagery because I think uh, where my mind was going and I imagine the same for Mary and Derek is just the way that when we're afraid, it's like sometimes you just need someone to remind you to breathe. Like you don't even realize you're holding your breath. Um, but then it also brought me to this image of, I don't know how many of y'all have ever gone through like a CPR certification and like the actual work of like compressions and like breathing life. But um, we call that act like mouth to mouth, right? And um, 
in the Bible, this is like a nerdy thing. This is where my mind goes. Um, there's only one person who's said to have spoken to God, like the literal translation is mouth to mouth, um, which is Moses talking to God in the Old Testament. And in this moment, in that moment of breath, like they're encountering God in a way that like no one had gotten to except for Moses. And now that kind of, uh, the veil, the, the distance, it's all been like taken away where that's kind of uh, overcoming where they're speaking to God, like face to face in those moments that God is like breathing into them. Um, there's just so many places we could go with that image, but, and that's just like the beginning of this passage. Like, I love it. Oh, um, my like also came from this beginning part and another detail in that the doors were locked. And it may sound silly that it is, you know, that it's amazing to me that Jesus like comes through a locked door after he like came out of a like closed tomb, you know, um, because like perspective wise, which one is the bigger miracle? But it just is an example of Jesus as boundary crosser, that Jesus is continually like crossing these boundaries. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a locked door. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, disbelief happening in that resurrection. Like Jesus is going to get to Jesus's people. Um, and so for me, this has been so important in my relationship with Jesus um, is being able to trust that Jesus is going to get to people. And I think it helps me to relate to people in a way where I don't have to like shove Jesus in their face uh, in a way that's unhelpful because I trust that Jesus is going to get through the locked doors that Jesus needs to get to. Um, but that I still get a chance to talk about what I've encountered and what I've seen in the hands and the side that I got to like encounter in a locked room, you know, um, Jesus will get to, to Thomas, whoever I'm talking to, whenever Jesus wants to, but like um, that there's something really powerful in that and trusting that. And that's, um, yeah, a big part of, of knowing and loving God for me. So um, Derek, what about you? What did you like? So I like you, Kathy. I'm like, this is a two hour one, right? Like this is the one where we're like, gonna take like four breaks in the middle I'm with we're not gonna do that I want to go like word by word and I'm not gonna do that either there's so much good in this passage um which is related to my challenge we'll get there in a bit but the thing of many things that I love is just the sheer honesty coming out of Thomas the just in that in a narrative that is supposed to be about the resurrection you have deep honesty deep honesty about needing proof more proof and and yeah like blessed are those who don't see and believe oh no oh no oh no am i still here okay am i still here okay good i got a call which just uh, okay no just the deep honesty of this text and so for me like i'm i'm cheering for thomas who's not doing the whole like um I don't know, just not doing the whole Easter Sunday 
everybody's figured it out and everybody's just singing the, you know, the hallelujahs and Christ the Lord is risen today. Like, no, Tom's is like, uh, I'm gonna let y'all finish, but I'm not there yet. And I'm here for resurrection honesty. And I think there's so much room for vulnerability and authenticity and just being um, open about where you are in light of the resurrection. We don't, we don't check our brains at the door of the resurrection. We bring it with us. And I love that Thomas, and I just want to say, I know we've called him Doubting Thomas. I think we need to start calling him Brave Thomas for being the one guy in the room. To be honest, like, I need to touch something. I'm a Westerner. I need some data. I'm here for it, Thomas. Yes, okay. Kathy, you want to say something. Go for it. Gosh, it's like I'm a Zoom rookie. Um, I am so glad you brought up Thomas. Maybe each one of us will bring up something different so then we can slowly move through the text together. <laughs> but for me, good old brave Thomas, like I couldn't, like, what do I like about the passage? I love the fact he wasn't there. Where the heck was he? Where was he? How was he dealing with his trauma? He did not want to be in community. He did not want to be with those other men. What was he doing? Where was he? How long was he gone for? You know, I just love the questions, thinking about the physicality um, of that. I love that. Wait, we can just pile on. Do I need to respond to what Derek's saying? We just pile on, right? Okay. So, okay. <laughs> but I love that. And then I love like, yeah, brave Thomas, because instead of like, I love that Derek, how you said the data, but to me, and like the data in the Western world, but to me, I'm more like, oh, he needs that body experience. He needs to feel it in his body because those guys just telling him, no, ma'am, no, sir, that's not enough. He needed the whole experience. He needed to see, he needed to touch. Cause I feel like that's what's the, when God gives us eyes to see, it's like, it's the mind, it's the emotions, and it's the body, you know? And so for me, that's what Thomas kind of brought to the table is this, like, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna believe, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna choose to do this, it's, I gotta be all in. I, it's gotta be everything. It's gotta be all of me. So that was, that was another, like, I loved that too, of course. I loved it. So glad you brought up the fact that Thomas isn't there. Uh, because our assumption uh, is that the people in this locked room, they're being bound in this place by fear. And, and he's moving about the cabin. And I don't know if he's necessarily doing it for like the mission of Jesus, if he's like picking up the mantle, or if he's just trying to move on. We don't know. But he's at least, um, he's he wasn't in that stuck place. And I also wonder, like, you know, we've been talking a little bit about like trauma, but we also get a glimpse of like some grief response too. I mean, this is, I mean, denial is a part of the process. <laughs> denial is a part of trying to come to terms with what is happening. And if he's in the middle of grief, maybe he even felt like, okay, I'm moving through this, you know, the, I mean, I realized he wouldn't have known the stages of grief, but like, you know, trying to handle, trying to live his life and someone throws a big wrench in like 
hey, I've been trying to cope with this. That's why I'm not up here with you guys. Like I'm trying to to cope and move on and y'all are pulling me back in it. I mean, that would be a really hard place to be. Um, and yeah, I just think so many times when we read these stories, we're at such a disadvantage because we know what happens. And so we lose a lot of that, what, what the experience and response would have been like if you don't know what happens and you're just walking into a room and just like, I don't know what y'all are talking about, but I'm gonna keep living my life. Um, these are like already places where I think challenges are coming in. So I'm really excited to see how those layers get added to it. Um, so Kathy, why don't you get us started with um, a few challenges? Um, first off, I have to say this, Mary, thank you for being so vulnerable at the onset. Um, you set a tone and a pace of vulnerability and I don't want to blow by that um, or not acknowledge how vulnerable that was. And you almost started like your like and your challenge just verbally came out at the same time. Um, and that's just really powerful and a reflection of who you are and how God's working in your life. And so I don't want to keep that conversation going without just kind of pausing and acknowledging like just the thank you of that and just for being in this space and starting right off with vulnerability. Um, so thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, the challenge. I, when you said you had six, I was kind of like, maybe I answered this question wrong because this is my first rodeo on where on, on, on deep gospel. So I'm like, oh, I could have really answered this question wrong. Um, but I'll just go for it anyway because you have me going first. So here we go. Um, I think for me, one of the other, as I looked at the text and thread it down, um, one of the other words that kept making a thread was the word believe. Um, and this kind of belief and believe, believe all over again. And I love Thomas, you know, in my version in verse um, 25, I mean, he's just bold and he says, I will never believe. You know, and it is like, I will make that choice. I will never believe. I'll never believe. And then, you know, with Jesus coming further down, almost that challenge back in verse 27, do not disbelieve, but believe. I mean, he's, he's, he's making this, you know, Thomas, if I go with that, this body decision to, you got to choose. And so the challenge for me, I think, um, following Mary's vulnerability. So I'm diagnosed bipolar too. And so I will have anywhere from manic episodes to depressive episodes. And so the challenge for me is when I am locked down in fear, can I take a deep breath of Jesus? And can I believe that there's more? Can I believe in that moment that there's more? Can I choose to believe, will I believe that there's more, you know, and I think when I think of the whole passage, this concept of like, you know, that you may have life, the believing you will have life in his name. Can I believe and can I choose that there's a life outside of despair? Because I think when you deal with mental health issues, you, it is very difficult to get out of the stuckness of that moment, you know, that there is that locked moment in fear is very, very real. And you don't believe, and I, I would say the challenge to me too, you don't believe there's power in breath. 
you know, when 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 you are in the pit and or in in the storm, you don't believe the power of the breath, and you certainly don't believe the power of the breath of the Lord to ins- to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Like that, you really don't believe. But then it, but so then become the challenge becomes for me, you know, breathe and will you believe? Will you believe there's a different way? Um, and so that's the challenge. That's the challenge for me. That is beautiful. First of all. Um, Building on that vulnerability, I really appreciate that ability to bring that experience into it and what you hear when you hear breath and the places that takes you. Um, And also, let me just say, there's no wrong way to see a challenge because there are just, I've I've always said there's, there's, there's a lot of different kinds of challenges. And we have, you know, we have some sometimes where we're wrestling with like I'm challenged that this that the Bible says this at all (laughs) like this is a really hard thing to hear and then there's also those challenges of my faith is asking something from me and that's a challenge Um, and for me I almost write down anytime um, anytime something makes me just be like huh like sometimes to me that's just like okay I can't just blow by that verse I've got to think about that for a second like that's enough of a challenge for me sometimes um I am like I don't even know how to like start with a few of these challenges one is let me go back to that verse you shared Mary and I would love to get um if you have a a thought or if you want to add on to this Um, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. I am comfortable with the power of healing. I am so uncomfortable with the power of cursing people. There is this feeling, this sense within me that that is just too much power for humans to hold and that it can be wielded in such difficult um, and harmful, deeply harmful ways. And I worry, I love hearing your perspective from a marginalized community because I worry about the people in power denying uh, not just forgiveness, but denying worth to people on the basis of this verse that God somehow has breathed something into me to be able to say that, you know, your way of life, your existence, um, your place in marginalized community um, is actually not okay. Um, And so you have there are communities of people who are wrestling with feeling like they are uh, an abomination, that they're a terrible thing. And I think a lot of times this comes from people wielding a power in this verse that I just am challenged by if we really understand what it is. Um, to the point where, and this this is probably wrong, this is probably too far, but to the point where I'm wondering if Jesus said both sides of this, Or if the other side of this was assumed because, well, I give you the power to forgive anyone's sins. So, so logically (laughs) there's the other side of that. And I just wonder, was that, 
was that how Jesus said it or not? Um, or did Jesus give them the power to forgive sins? Did Jesus also say, let's forgive 70 times seven? And, and there's this little human part of us that says, well, there's this other side to it. Um, and I'm just really challenged by the power that could be in that other side. You don't have to have a response, Mary, but if you wanted to share on that other side, I would love to, to know from your perspective. Um, yeah. So that you made an excellent point on, um, you know, whether God was saying it was for both sides or just that one side. Um, but is he also saying that you have to acknowledge that you forgive yourself when you sin? Um, that's another thing that I was pondering about when you were um, talking about the passage. Um, and for you to be able to forgive the sin of any, they are forgiven. So meaning like, if you forgive the person who has sinned you, then that sin is forgiven. But if you've sinned and you've done wrong and you realize that you did have done wrong, how can you forgive yourself? Or why should I even forgive myself? But Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. And therefore, I can say that Jesus saved us from our sins because he loved us, because he knows that we are his children and he knows that we make mistakes and that even though there, there's going to be wrongdoing, he's still going to love us no matter what happens. And to be able to realize that, it's, it's glorifying because you have that sense of hope, um, that realization of, oh, I'm yes, I did this wrong, but God loves me even though I did this sin. And therefore, I can also forgive myself. There's so much um, to unpack with that, but I think what it makes me think of is that worship song about like the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And just how important it is that we claim that power. And me thinking about it in terms of other people's power actually denies that also power within myself. And that is a really hard, <laughs> challenging lesson. Um, I just am regretting I had therapy earlier today instead of later today, but you know, it comes around every week. We'll talk about it next time, right? Um, 
the, the one other place I want to bring us with challenges, and then I know y'all will have some challenges to add, is to Thomas. And the thing I was wondering is, was Thomas, what was Thomas's relationship with Jesus? And it seems logical to me that Thomas could have been secure enough in his friendship with Jesus to be like, I thought we were friends like that. Like, I thought we were friends like that where you'd like come and see me too. Like, you know, you're friends with them. You're friends, we're all, you know, there's 12 of us. Am I like the last, am I, you know, I could, I could feel a little bit of pain there and also wanting that relationship. Um, and then for Jesus to wait eight days on top of that pain was a place that I was just challenged by. Um, that I know that I'm sure Jesus wasn't just like setting a timer and like coming back to Thomas when he had a minute. I'm sure he was doing some other stuff, you know, was kind of God. But I just was thinking like, I don't know if you've ever had that friend and you, you thought you were close and they called somebody else and then you find out about it eight days later that they're engaged or pregnant or something good happening in their lives, you might have some thoughts. Um, Kathy, what do you think about that? I, you brought it up earlier and so I love that we can circle back to it but so I'm going to mute myself because you'll need to figure it out. You'll need to go back. But remind me, what is the next stage of grief after denial? Oh, yeah, yeah. Anger, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Yeah. So that's so as soon as you started talking, I was like, oh, I love that it's coming from Haley. Like, I love that. I was like, I love that this is the woman that started with denial. And then you're asking the question, why eight days? I'm like, well, if he was going through the stages of grief, I sure wouldn't want to mess with him till he got a little further on down the road. No matter how good of friends we were, no matter what kind of relationship, like I'm not interacting with you at phase two. We have a little, we need to have a little softening of heart. So that's just following your logic, but I couldn't help it as you were talking. I just couldn't help but build on what you had said earlier. No, I love it. I love it. Um, Derek, what was your challenge? Let's just add. We're going to stick to Thomas a little bit on this one because my, my challenge is how much I feel I, I feel where Thomas might have been. I, I don't know if, if there's an angry side of, of Thomas, but I do know this, this side possibly that I connect with, but just, I need more. I need, I need more, I need more. And, and thanks, thanks for telling me that Jesus is risen, but I need more. And that actually, my challenge is actually bigger than Thomas, but it's personified in Thomas. It's the fact that the shortest parts of the gospels are the resurrection accounts and the whole resurrection. Like we get one or two, two at most chapters. I think, I, I, I don't think we have more than two chapters in each gospel around post-resurrection. And I mean, 
we've got like a few chapters around like leading up to the crucifixion in Matthew. And I'm just like, I, I need more resurrection conversation here. I know we got a little bit of Acts too, but like, that's the thing. Like we got like a little bit over here, a little bit over here. I'm like, I want more. I want more of that conversation, more of what happened. Like what in the world? Like first 19, it was still the first day of the week, but that evening. What was going on for the 12 hours leading up? Like the eight days, like, come on. And I, I think for me, it speaks to, it, it takes me to that belief piece. For me, I, I am that Enneagram five empirical evidence person. And, and again, this is where my, my, my appreciation, my, my like before it's like, I often feel like in church spaces, particularly when we start talking about the resurrection, I have to check my brain to participate in the celebration. But for me, part of the celebration is the questions. Part of the celebration for me is like, it's the collection of the data. I mean, I just, you wanna make me happy? Give me lots of data to collect. Tell me that it's available and I can go get it. And I'm challenged that even in that mindset, there is this gap of, I'm not gonna get any more data. I am gonna have to, I love the way that you talked about it, Kathy, of this, at some point belief comes in, at some point we have to make the choice for people like me, based on all the data that we have, as little as it might be, what's the most faithful step for us? Um, but that's a challenge for me because I want more. I wanna hear more about this resurrection. I wanna hear more about what Jesus was doing. I wanna know about the food that Jesus was eating during the resurrection. Um, that's my challenge, yeah. I love it because I'll say one of my meta challenges is that the Bible was written in this ancient Near Eastern literary style or Hellenistic style because you know, if all this had been happening today, each of those disciples would have had a book deal. It would have been 600 pages at the least. We would have had a lecture circuit. I mean, we would have been getting some information that we are not getting. Um, so I do appreciate that, but just, um, I, I feel like there is this part of the challenge where we are so used to seeing our world in comparisons that we can hear what Jesus says of, you know, you've seen and blessed are those who haven't seen and still believe. And I just wonder, is that as stark of a comparison as it sounds? Or is it, or is it two statements? Is it separate? Is there a blessing in needing more and a blessing for those who are able to find what they need? Um, or just that there's always a, always enough of what we need um, or can be. So yeah, I love that. Um, Mary, what challenged you? Um, we're going back to Thomas. Um, so when the 11 disciples um, saw Jesus and Thomas wasn't there, and then for his brothers to tell him that they have seen the Lord, I had a hard time. At first, when I read the first passage first, I was like, I was thinking, why doesn't he believe his fellow, fellow 
brothers that he they have seen the Lord. I mean, he lives with them. He eats with them, drinks with them, prays with them. I mean, what what put him to have this thought of I don't believe you and I never will. And to when we to when listening to um, you guys conversation about how he was like, yeah, um, I will never believe because I need that, that, uh, I don't want to say proof, but like, he wanted that proof um, for himself because even though his brothers said that they saw the Lord, like it almost thinks, it almost makes me wonder if he had trust issues or uh, trusting the people that he loves. And therefore he needed that that feeling for himself and not just by the words that his brothers used. Um, that's what I struggled with and that was my challenge. Um, but also in the last verse, I believe. Um, no, no, no. On, Verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed it because that you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Like, he got knew, Jesus knew that he didn't, that Thomas didn't believe his brothers. But now that he has seen him, he believed. So, but why did Jesus wait eight days for him to prove that it was him and that the disciples did see him? And the people who are blessed, who have not seen and yet have believed, like that, are those people more special? Or are they more entitled to other things or certain things? Or like, is it, am I missing something? Like, how do you differentiate on the people who are blessed, who have not seen, but yet believe? I, know, I, I really love this question and I don't have like a clear answer because I think it is a really good challenge. Um, but yeah, it is. I, I really appreciate you rereading that verse that it is a question that Jesus is asking in that. And um, 
Yeah. It's, uh, it's a tough question. Jesus asked some tough questions. Go ahead, Mary. Um, it almost, it's, oh my gosh, I heard this somewhere, um, but they, it's when people ask you the question, I think it was in the Evolve um, from last month, um, the, when people ask you a question, but they already know the answer too. So it's like God was asking Thomas, Jesus was asking Thomas the question, but he to um, have you believed because you have seen me? Like he already knows the answer to that. Even before you speak, he already knows it. He already knows what you're thinking. He already knows what you're going to say. And so I guess it's more for, it's a way for Jesus to ask you questions, but he already knows the answer, but he realizes that you need to hear the answer for yourself because you might already know the answer to it but you don't want to listen to it or hear it even if it's the truth and even if it's hard to hear like it's it's difficult to realize what you want to hear versus what the reality is or what you think should be the truth. Yeah, I think that's an important like journey of faith too, is those questions that God is asking us. And like, I don't know if you've ever asked God a question and then like, why don't you just give me the answer? <laughs> like, you know, there's a mailbox right there. If you wanted to just, you know, send a letter, you know where to find me. Um, but yeah, those, those questions. And then also, um, since we've talked so, uh, so much in the mental health realm, you know, how many times does your therapist ask you a question? that she probably knows the answer to, but she, but she's waiting for you to get there. Or like one day you say the thing and it's like, I knew you were going to get there and how like that is a part of the process. Yeah. Uh, so answering these questions, I feel like is kind of where we get to those like gospel implications as good news as what do we do with this text? Like, what does it actually mean that we're like, people who live in light of the resurrection or Easter people or whatever the word is that that y'all, um, your church normally uses. Um, and so gospel implication, I'm gonna go in a completely different direction than what I actually had written down um, because of this conversation, which is why we need these conversations. You know, if you're not reading the Bible with other people, if you're like just tuning in or whatever, like find, find a group, talk it through. It makes such a difference. But um, I have been on a journey um, with fitness 
Um, I haven't worked out since um, I had my one-year-old. So it's been a while and I started to get back into it. Um, yes, Monday. Monday, I was um, just having a really hard time wanting to do it. I'm sure none of y'all have ever had that problem. Um, but, you know, just was like, I, I do not want to work out right now. I would much rather take a nap. And the, the, the fitness um, service like videos that I use have meditation options. And one of them is like for your goals. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do a five minute goals meditation and see if that helps me get in the mindset to just like crush this workout. So my instructor says, you know, visualize your goal, sitting there, visualizing my goal of nice, peaceful music. And he's like, now I hope you fail at it. And I'm like, excuse me, sir. I came here so that I would have the motivation to like actually do this thing, right? Um, but then kind of walked through the process of failure is the process of growth, that it's through failure that we actually move to the next thing. And so I, it brought me back around to this uh, this uh, assertion you made, Derek, of, you know, we call Thomas doubting Thomas. For some reason, we let him live in this one moment uh, when that's not who he is, that this is a journey that he's on and he makes this one statement and all of a sudden we've like branded him as it. Um, but this bravery rather of faith is sometimes about that failure of thinking we need a thing, um, of thinking that it's all about this one thing and um, that we need a God who can cross through the boundaries, the locked doors, the, the eyes that are like blinders on in one direction and redirect us. Um, and to be able to embrace those failures, not as these, um, not as this like rebuke from Jesus from this question, but maybe rather an invitation of like, there is a longer journey. Jesus knows the ascension's coming. There's a longer journey happening. And that maybe in this failure of doubting early, Thomas is able to have the stamina, you know, five years in when people are getting tortured for the faith to be like, no, I'm, I believe, like I've gotten there. Um, and so for me, the gospel implication is what we can learn um, in our faith journeys through failing and believing again, and that that is an act of faith. So, um, Derek, what about you? What was your gospel implication? Yeah, so, you know, interestingly enough, like I, the gospel implication for me takes me to another kind of space. Um, there's this song by Common Hymnal, we sang it in CCW for a little bit, Come Tear Down the Walls. And I just get this image of not just the walls, the actual walls that Jesus kind of walks through, but also the walls that may be in Thomas's own life, own heart. Some of that, some of those walls are built, right? Because of trauma, like I don't want to feel that way ever again. And so I'm going to protect myself. Um, and I love how without invitation, which is a little bit scandalous, Jesus has a way of kind of walking right through those walls. 
right, right through the walls. Uh, and I do think that there is a place for the, the actual deconstruction of walls that we have built over time. And then there's this other thing where I'm like, I love the moments that Jesus just walks right through them. That Jesus just literally walks right through the walls that we've built. And so for me, the gospel implication is that there are these walls that Jesus will walk right through to get to us. And, and again, this is where I need more stories. Did he walk through all the walls or there are certain walls he didn't walk through? And like, what do we learn from that? Like, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna know how to, and this is you know, the challenge for me, I wanna make it a science of which walls Jesus is gonna walk through. But it's not a science, it's much more relational. It's not transactional. But there are walls that the power of the resurrection doesn't have to even tear down, just walk right through. And, and, be, and to just stay open for that, to stay open for the walls that Jesus will walk right through, whether it be physical walls or emotional. Um, so that's my gospel implication. Thanks, Derek. Uh, Mary, what was your gospel implication? To piggyback on what Derek was saying about um, the walls and how Jesus just walks right through them. Um, with Thomas putting that wall of putting his foot down saying, I will never believe until I see for myself, until I feel for myself. And then for Jesus to literally just walk right through that wall to say, here I am look at me, touch me, um, and just be glorious. Um, and we always have built these walls that we don't want to deal with, like barriers, but he somehow always finds a way to tear those down and to pick you back up and to make you stronger and to always be there for you. And he will never give up on you because you are his child and he loves you and you need to be saved. So that's mine. Thanks, Mary. Oh, I love it. Kathy, what's your gospel implication? Okay, I got to go with it. Have you guys seen Ted Lasso? No, no one's seen Ted Lasso? What is, does this air to college kids? College kids out there in the world? Have you seen Ted Lasso? Someone uh, needs to respond. Go ahead, Derek, tell me. Kathy, I, I think it's an extra thing. All of my extra <laughs> friends are seeing Ted Lasso, my millennials and Gen Z are like, Ted who? Oh um, my gosh. And I just okay. haven't had time, okay. but it's on my list. Okay. I don't even know if I should give a Ted Lasso gospel implication though. Maybe it's no, no, their no. parents. Come on, come on. It'll, it'll get us excited about it. Maybe college students could invite their parents to watch in this moment. Since that is, I'm a good old Gen Z. They could say, mom and dad, come on in. If you don't know Jesus, watch Ted Lasso. No, but um, I just feel like I love, I mean, it's so fun to have a conversation and to try to really be present for what Mary is saying and not try to think of what I'm going to say in response to what Mary is saying, but that's a conversation because 
we go, you know, we go on top of it, but I just love it. I mean, right. I just keep thinking like the reality is like, Jesus is coming after you friends in the best possible way, you know, like good luck, good luck trying to get away from Jesus. Like he, he loves you. He's passionate about you. He's coming for you. And, and he's going to meet you right where you're at. He's going to meet you right where you're at, you know? And, um, and I love, you know, all the things that we've all said, the gospel implication for that is that, yeah, he's, it's, it's yeah Jesus is going to be the one that creates the space and you you know it's you don't have to work so hard you don't have to change it up you just be you but for all my Ted Lasso friends out there that (laughs) the concept of believe is you know one of his big mantras is the word believe and I feel like what that show does so great is that it's not just believing, but what his character does is shows you there's a different way to live. There's a different way to live than the way you've been living. And it's based off belief, but there's a different way to live. And so when I think of the gospel implication in this moment, I think the reality is that Jesus is saying, there's a different way to live than the way you've been living. It's different, it's different, it is life. It looks radically different than what you've seen, And then I think it's like your holy imagination, right? Like you don't even know, you don't even know what it looks like that by believing you can have life in his name, you know? And just the way in this passage, how it goes from, listen, God sent me and I'm sending you and the gospel indicate, you know, that gospel invitation is like, it's a pursuit. It goes out and you don't even know what you're stepping into, but believe and it's going to, it's going to change the culture. It's going to change you. It's going to change the culture because it's, yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing what it looks like. It's an alternative reality that we have no idea and true for us today, right? Like I'm going to use that holy imagination and, and believe, you know, something different, something believe the more with or without the evidence. Oh, I love that. And I think it's so important you know, you mentioned seeing this thread of believe through the text. And I think I can so often think of believe as a cerebral thing, but it's like a full embodied thing. And like, this is the text that takes us there. I mean, that's what's so important about Thomas's encounter. Like this is a full immersed bodily thing. And I, I, um, and that's also like a gospel implication that challenges us to keep moving forward. I, I love it. Um, well, are, are we going to do this again next week? I like this has been so great. <laughs> we'll just, just keep putting it on the calendar. No, thank you so much for all being here for this conversation um, and to just kind of dive into these texts and Um, As much as we call it deep gospel, it's still like we always get, you know, we get our ankles deep and then, you know, there's so much more. There's so much more. So thank y'all for just starting to explore through these verses. And um, Mary, would you close us in a word of prayer? Yes, I would be happy to. Um, Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for allowing us to gather virtually here today for Deep Gospel. Um, I pray and thank you, Lord, for these incredible people who are so inspiring and who are just truly my brothers and sisters in Christ. And 
um, even though everybody is struggling, I pray for the AAPI, um, Asian American Pacific Islanders and the Asian hate that has been going on um, for the longest time and um, to, for us to have the courage and strength to forgive, um, forgive the people's sins that has put harm to us, like in um, verse 23, and if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Don't withhold that forgiveness. Let it go. Forgive them. God forgives. Jesus forgives. So I pray that you find that peace and comfort in the Lord and just have hope and hang on and it will be, it will end soon. And thank you for this incredible day and for these incredible people. Amen. Amen. Well, blessings to you all. Thank you so much. And until next time, bye friends. Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Gospel. Deep Gospel is a weekly conversation and ministry of Campus to City Wesley, a multi-site campus ministry serving college-age young adults in Northeast Florida. To find out more about worship gatherings and other ways to connect to our community, check out campustocity.org. You can also support us by becoming a Patreon supporter. Until next time, blessings.